Morning, everybody. My name's Helena, and today's reading is Psalm 145. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. No? I think Helen has got the job, eh? <laughs> so many oohs and ahs while she's reading. It's like, yeah, hmm. So that's, a, that's testament to the quality of King David's praise. <laughs> he knew how to write, and uh, his writings have lasted uh, through generations. And, and it does testify to the quality of a man's amazement, uh, the quality of one person's awe that has lasted so long. Um, when I talk about the word worship or praise, um, a handful of us jump up and go, that's, that's my favorite thing to do. That's why I'm here. A handful of us go, that's for the guys on the stage. That's why they're there. And a handful of us probably feel a little bit of that imposter syndrome, like, I, I get that looks actually quite ref, uh, refreshing. It looks quite free, actually. Those people who, who sing, who look so dedicated, who look so committed, um, that, that looks amazing, but I don't know if that'll ever quite be me. Um, I just don't see that happening. And, and then there's others who look from a distance and go, ah, the happy clappies, good for them. They can do their thing, and, uh, and I'll do my thing. And, and David here is, is a full-on rejoicing Person. He's writing Psalm 145. It's the last psalm written by David. There's more psalms afterwards, but this is the last one by David, and, and he's writing a psalm of praise. Um, there was a, a, a writing that said that this was, all, uh, you know, a, a faithful Jewish person should, um, it says, the Talmud commends all who repeat this three times a day as having a share in the world to come. 
This is how dedicated they were to Psalm 145. There was the sense in Jewish uh, kind of culture that this psalm was a power psalm. It should be spoken of. It should be recited as often as possible. Psalms 145 through to the end are known as the hallelujah psalms. They are psalms of praise, dedicating themselves to God. Dedicating themselves actually to the, to the greatness, the bigness of God. Now, maybe just to slow down and consider the concept of, of praise or worship or, or even this, this sense of, of visibly giving ourselves to something. Um, I, I think, you know, as I was running actually on, on Friday morning, I did a little statistic. Um, I, this is not verifiable. Do not quote me because I'm running and I'm huffing and puffing. But I, I, I'm watching people come past me. You know that lovely wide pavement on the way to Melkbos? It's lovely to run on. If you get there in the cool of the day, it's a beautiful spot to run. And I, I love running there. And I'm watching people kind of on their way to work. I think it was early Friday morning. And I tried to do uh, stats. Now, I wasn't good at maths in high school, so don't quote me on this. But I basically looked at every person who was driving by themselves in the car. I ignored every other stat. No bus drivers and no people who had more than one person in the car. What percentage of people, according to my stats, me watching and trying to count while I'm huffing and puffing up the road, how many of those people do you think were driving like this? 75%. I have a 75%. Can anybody up that? My stats said one out of two. One out of two people. The others maybe were hiding it better, so you could be right. But I'm looking at people who are driving like this, and I could see their phones busted. And this is not a talk on uh, obeying the law. This is a talk on praise. But one of the things I'm realizing is that we as human beings are always searching. We're always looking for stuff. And even if we need to keep uh, attached and connected to the thing we love whilst we're driving, putting ours and other people's lives at risk, we will do it. We're dedicated to it. Hey, you need to go to a, a, a concert. Uh, Nix and I uh, loved getting to concerts. Since we've had kids, we haven't been to as many, but our two favorites, Coldplay and U2, uh, they came about 10 years ago. And I just remember standing in this U2 concert and watching people almost double my age at the time on each other's shoulders, arms raised, going, woo, to a guy named Bono, for goodness sake. They were dedicated. They were singing. Those were the happy clappies in, uh, in, in the stadium. Well, I mean, we're dedicated, right? I think of our sports, how we support sports. Uh, anybody watch the Springboks last night? There must have been a handful of people who would have got out of their, their couches and uh, been screaming some cheers as Colby dives over the line. These moments bring us to, to physically connect ourselves. And you think the Springboks, wait till you watch a mom with her son playing under 10C against Paro Primary. Then you will see worship. You'll see physical dedication to a person and, and to their victory. It's amazing what we will do when we are passionate about something. Even under 10C rugby. We humans are actually made for this. And as much as we don't believe it or we want to resist it, and, and it becomes an easy caricature, an easy stereotype to go, oh, the Christians. That's not the Christians, it's the humans. The human heart is longing for something that we can give the whole of ourselves to and say, wow, that is epic. That is amazing. That is worth saying wow to. 
That's how we, that's how we live. That's what we're made for. Our hearts are longing to give praise to something, to be in awe of something. That's how we live. And David here gives us a masterclass on praise. He, he's, he's coaching the follower of God into a life of praise. And I think he gives us five ingredients, five ways and five teachings, ways that we should praise. And I want to try my best. I feel like as I was reading the psalm or, or as Helena was reading it over us, I went, oh, I can't do any more justice to this. He, he speaks for himself. This is such a power uh, talk in and of itself. I think if we went and sat by ourselves for half an hour and read it over and prayed and read it over and prayed, we would get so much from it. But I want to suggest five ingredients to praise well, to become a person who understands the heart of praise. And then we're going to move into a time of singing, and we're going to sing, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and we're going to refresh our sense of what it means to praise. And, and when I speak of praise, I probably have three expressions of praise in mind. I, I have a, the expression of praise that most of us are thinking of right now. You're thinking of getting in an auditorium with a group of people and singing songs together. Yep, cool. That, that is an expression of praise. There's another expression of praise, which is your own personal words, your own body language in your own time. It's a really important part of that. Uh, most of the Psalms weren't only used in corporate expressions together. They were used alone by oneself to recite. Nikki said that some Psalms were to be whispered. They were these precious words that were kept between God and others. These, these moments of either getting on our knees or, or climbing up a mountain and praising God, using words, using body language. But then there's also the other expression of worship, which is actually that our whole lives are, are God's for his glory. That, that when I go to work and I, I work well and I tell the truth and I honor people and I, I live to the glory of God and I do everything for his glory, as I parent, as I child, as I honor people, as I do my life in the eyes of God, that is worship as well. I'm probably speaking mainly to the first two today predominantly to that expression, that, that sense of our physical, verbal expression of love and praise towards God. He starts by saying this, I will exalt you, my God, the King. And I think this first ingredient of praise is that there needs to be direction. There needs to be direction to our praise. I'll exalt you, my God, the King. I'll praise your name forever and ever. Every day, I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Notice how David has this kind of monopoly moment. Do not pass begin. Not how many Christians say, do not pass begin unless you have prayers of gratitude, unless you do this, that, and the next thing. Do not pass begin unless you have a direction which is Godward. Praise is about looking at God. I've been in a few restaurants. I found it immensely distracting when you're sitting opposite someone and behind them is a mirror. You know those big wall mirrors? And uh, you're talking to the person and there's, there's multiple distractions. The one is you go, oh my gosh, I can see the whole restaurant behind me. And if you move your head just a little, I see me. Maybe a good, maybe a bad thing. The point is, is you can get caught up with yourself. And, and sometimes our expressions of worship can be a bit like that. We're kind of looking at God, but actually we're putting up a mirror just behind him. Putting up a mirror just behind him and we're going, I'm looking at you, but really I'm looking at you for me. 
looking at you so that I can get stuff. I've been told that, you know, from a scientific perspective, song and praise is good for the neural pathways. I need to get my brain all in order, so I'll sing some songs. Or I look at God as a kind of therapist, so if I sing praise, he will, you know, sort out all my troubles. And, and David just doesn't do that. David has a totally different agenda. Here he just says, with direction, I will exalt you. He's got focus. He's got direction. My God, the King. This is the most important place to start when it comes to praise, is to learn that we're not looking to see what's behind the mirror, if we can see ourselves or others. We're looking at God for God's sake. We're looking at him to praise his name forever and ever. We're looking at God to see what is David seeing, as Nick's beautifully reminded us last week. How amazing is this God that a guy would want to praise him forever and ever? That every day he would praise him and extol his name. To say that he is great and most worthy of praise. There's a sense that David is looking at one who is so glorious that it is better to see him than to try to see the mirror behind him. And, and this is where it starts. This is where praise starts. I heard a, a beautiful stat to, to remind us of the grandness of this great God who is most worthy of praise. Hold up a needle in your hand, a little needle, not a, not a, a knitting needle. I'm talking about a sewing needle. <clears throat> there behind that little needle are 10,000 galaxies in the night sky. So if you hold up a needle, and then behind it, you, it creates a V out into the, the darkness. 10,000 galaxies are behind that little head of the needle. Approximately behind that are a trillion stars that are represented in those galaxies, each having plus minus 100 to 200 billion stars within all those galaxies. It, it's, it's remarkable. And our planet is orbiting a mid-ranked little star called the sun in one of these billions of galaxies in which we live. Think about what you were doing yesterday, this time. Can you remember? Where were we next? Can't remember. We were at a gym competition. At that gym competition, we were 2.6 million kilometers away from where we are right now. We were hurtling around the sun at 108,000 kilometers per hour. That's how fast this, this planet is moving, and somehow this God created all of it, and he comes to this little planet called planet Earth, and he comes to each of our individual lives, and he cares about us. It's a remarkable thought that God, in his amazing grace, chooses to love us. He created us, and he allows us to know him. That's why David says, great is the Lord, and most worthy to be praised. I was about six when I was hugging my dad's leg at, a, at the Westville Fair in Durban. And I'm holding his leg as every sort of youngster does, and you just feel that sense of safety as you're holding his leg. You can see the candy floss stall, and you can see all the different things going on. And suddenly a moment of panic happens. As you're holding this leg, you just feel like something's different. You look up, and I realize it's not my dad. I'm holding a perfect stranger's leg with all my might. What a ghastly feeling. It stuck with me 33 years later. I can never forget holding the wrong hairy leg. 
the glory of praise is that we're called to praise Him, to praise God, to, to make sure that we're looking at the right God, the glorious one that David is introducing us to and calling us to get lost in His majesty. One of my favorite things, I'm going to put Dolores on the spot. I'm sure she won't mind. I hope she doesn't. We were at um, a ladies' life group where I got to visit. We were. I don't go every week. <laughs> Although they did give me honorary membership. I was visiting the ladies' life group on a Thursday morning, and uh, mostly the top gen are in that group. And uh, we had this amazing moment where basically... Uh, it was a bit of a check-in moment, and the ladies were all feeding back, and everyone's had a tough year, and it was, it was actually really inspiring, just hearing the different levels of faith in people as they'd walked through things. And then Violet started talking about how um, there was an amazing sense of, of just people enjoying God through the pain. And, and then Violet said, and Dolores, you just are amazing at that, the, the way that you enjoy God, no matter how tough things are. And Violet looks, uh, Dolores looked at Violet, and she said, oh, but I do enjoy God. So then I, I was like, that, that, that sentence just like went deep into my soul and I just looked at Dolores and wow. And then about 10 minutes later, I said to the whole group, Dolores, what you said has really struck me. I feel like I could go home. I've have got all my, my food for the day. When you, when you said, I really enjoy God. And she looked at me, she said, oh, but, but Roger, I, I really do enjoy God. <laughs> I remember just thinking, oh, you really do. And I'm so grateful for your life that you're a person who enjoys God. You've got a, a heart like David who wants to exalt God, my King. Even as Helen is reading, I'm hearing Dolores going, oh, yes, oh, yes, I'll exalt you. Oh, yes, he's good. Oh, every day I'll praise you. That's what David is doing. He's introducing us to a direction of praise. Sometimes our, our praise is almost like a delta. It, it loses focus. God calls us to have direction in our praise. The dominant concern of the scriptures was that there would be other gods, there would be a distraction of focus that would praise other things, cash, career, companions, whatever it is that we can get. And, and he says, no, don't praise that. Your soul is best and happiest when it's free to run on the single tracks of love and praise towards one God. This is, this is so profound and so important. So many of us feel free if we can have multiple loves, if we can love our career, if we can love our kids, if we can love cash, if we can have it all and I can love it all. And the Bible doesn't teach that and nor does practice and history teach us that either. You try have it all and you get nothing. There's this beautiful bringing together of wisdom in the scriptures that says if you want it all, there is only one source of it all. It's this one. Your God and your King, His name will last forever and ever. His greatness no one can fathom. Put all your eggs in that basket, and the other stuff that comes along, you'll just be grateful for. And you'll get more than you thought. Second amazing ingredient of praise is that praise has a baton. Listen to this. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The next ingredient is the baton of praise. 
I love my favorite part of the Olympics. I kind of scrap everything until the last few days when they get into those amazing relays. I just love relays because they're on the edge of your seat moments and they've got to hand over that baton. And it's the fastest human beings in the world. But not only that, they've got to work as a team. There's no teamwork in the Olympics on the track until this moment. And you try to work out, are they real team players? Are they going to get that baton to the next person? And it doesn't matter if you've got the fastest team. If you don't get the baton to the other guy, you're out. There's no chance of winning. And I just love watching it. And uh, it's often the time that South Africans kind of have a chance of a medal. We giggle. Praise. Honor, worship of God, a, a life that's dedicated to Him is one of the most profound ways to hand over the baton of your faith to the next generation. It's one of the most amazing ways for you to teach the next generation what's most valuable. We've probably all heard the saying, you know, people aren't going to do what we say, they're going to do what we do, right? Now, I'd take it a step further. Most of our next generation aren't just going to do what we do they're actually going to end up loving what we love. They're going to want what we want. It's amazing. You watch in our little family. If Nix and I change hobbies and I'm doing a little less surfing and a little more running, do you know what happens? There's less requests to go uh, surfing. There's more requests to go for jogs together. They, they want to love what we love. They want to do what we do. There's a sense of desire to participate in the stuff that seems like that generation are deriving joy from. It looks like it's making you happy. Why do you think all your kids want you uh, to give them a phone? Because it looks like it makes you so happy. You spend so much time scrolling with your eyes wide. You must be getting something from that thing. Give me one so that I too can experience the joy that you are getting from that weird little device. There are three images that, for me, have been such a profound help of handing over the baton. I remember um, early mornings. I was never a morning person, still not. Fight the mornings hard. <clears throat> but I would wake up early from time to time, and I would walk into my parents' bedroom. And etched into my mind is these two people on either side of the bed, on their knees, elbows together, and with their heads like this. And they're praying. And it was like a tennis match. They, one would go, then the next, then the next, then the next. And my parents would be praying. And there'd be praise and there'd be worship. And there's a sense that they woke up to a priority that was even bigger than us. They woke up and they loved the one that mattered more to them than even their kids. And we knew, in a sense, subconsciously, their love for him became an expression of love for us. Also remember actually sitting in Westville Presbyterian Church, a lot of Westville illusions, those of you from KZN, and uh, we would finish uh, worship uh, and, and the meeting all together, it was quite traditional, but I was again very short and I just remember looking up at my dad, big Adam's apple popping out, arms raised to the sky, and I just remember looking and thinking, that looks like he's found something else. It looks like he's engaging with someone else. It looks like he's committed to something bigger. I've seen him excited. I've seen him angry. But I've never seen him so focused, so in love with something out there. 
And it's etched into my mind. And, and as I grew up, I began to discover what it was that he was engaging with, who it was that he was seeing. He was handing over the baton without even knowing it. His, his love, his dedication was basically by osmosis being drawn, uh, handed over to me. It's an amazing thing. Our next generation, and I'm not just talking to parents here, I'm talking to all of us in this age bracket here, is a young generation are looking and saying, what do you love? What do you really love? Because I want to love that too. I want to see if it's worth loving. I want to see if it's worth living for and dying for. The probably fairly sad part of our lives is that when we dig to the bottom of our loves, sometimes it's not always the unfathomable God. Sometimes it is cash, career, kids, education. As I was listening to us worship, I was so stoked. It felt like we're a community who are growing in our ability to say, wow, God is as good as he says he is. The next ingredient is actually content. The content of our praise really matters. David's words weren't just random, out there, kind of freestyle poetry, and if it was good, it was good. If it wasn't good, it wasn't good. He thought carefully about every word. In verse 8, it says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts the glorious splendor of your kingdom. There is content to our praise. This is a fairly challenging one because sometimes I think we just think, you know what, just make the right sounds and, uh, you know, if you get in the right key, Antony, I don't know what the right key is, but get in the right key and you're basically in praise mode. Maybe it's your posture or your eyes closed. Those are all important. We'll talk about them in a moment. But if your posture is good and the key is right, but the content is off, then you've really not got direction. The, the content of your praise defines what it is that you're looking at, who it is that you're looking at. Notice how David says here that they will tell. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. In verse 11, and speak of your might. There is an important aspect to the content of our praise that we need to give some thought to, that we actually need to be growing in. Our understanding of God. The, the common word for this is theology. Theology is the study of God, our growing understanding of who God is, but also who God isn't. And we're in a privileged position to be able to have at our fingertips access to so much amazing literature and so much rubbish literature. Come chat to me if you uh, want to find out the best. But the best place to start is get yourself an NIV study Bible, get yourself an ESV study Bible, whichever one you want to choose, and start reading it because that's how you gather content for praise. You begin to understand how God is slow to anger and rich in love. It can be a concept until you read it, and you begin to unpack the paradox of a God who is amazingly loving, but he's still just. How does he do that? How can God be uh, you know, loving and merciful, but also just to, to sin and the brokenness of this world? How can God create a world, and, and, and yet there can be evil and sin? And then as you read it and you realize that, that this God who created it comes and he lives amongst it. And you realize, oh, there's, there's this funny word called incarnation. What's incarnation? Oh, it's that God became a man. He lived amongst us. Oh, wow. And then, and then he lived a life unlike any other. Wow, that, that's called holiness. 
He was set apart. He did something that no other life could do. Wow, and, and he performed miracles attesting to the fact that he really was the son of God. And then he, he dies an unjust death. And in that death, he defeats sin and Satan and death. And, and you start realizing big words like justification. There's an opportunity for human beings to trust that Jesus died on our behalf and we exchange our sin for his righteousness and we become justified before a loving God. And we're included in his family and we begin this journey called sanctification. You, you might be feeling imposter syndrome, don't. Everybody first opens their Bible for the first time and goes, what's next? I don't know where to start. Start somewhere. There's, there's content that is freely available that all of us can have so that our hearts can begin to expand and grow and learn to love and be loved. We do this together. That's why we gather in life groups, to grow in our understanding of God, why we gather here to, to deepen our sense of doctrine. Uh, Ross and I were chatting about the, the beautiful moment. We both shared a, an amazing moment of, of revelation. We're both skeptical and have questions about God and one of our moments of, of coming like, around to trusting God was when we realized a woman's witness in the, in, in the New Testament was, was basically unthought about. Nobody trusted a woman's witness. So why in the world would the writers of the Gospels have said the first people to see Jesus were these two women, resurrected? If they were making it up, they would have chosen men 100% of the time. It would never have been a woman. It's a moment of praise. You're going, wow, this stuff makes sense. This, is, this must be God. This is the gospel. The content of our praise is filled with the stories of God as he begins to shape what we call our theology. And our theology is ever growing. Nobody is finished growing their theology. There's so much to learn. You still with me? Cool. The next ingredient to praise or worship is honesty. Honesty, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy. Oh, wow, he's trustworthy. You know that you, you can trust him with every part of your life in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Oh, just, just think about that. Have you found anyone who is trustworthy and faithful in all they do? When you're watching them and when they're not watching, when you're not watching, all the time, faithful. He upholds all who fall and lifts up all who are bowed down. David is coming to the, the vulnerability of God, the, the ability to, to trust that God is merciful. He's gentle. He can, he can uh, actually handle our own brokenness. He doesn't shy away from our brokenness like we do and like we expect others to. One of the great griefs of of, of being a pastor is, is watching how people bring their best to community and they hide their worst behind closed doors. We all do it. We pitch up when things are going great and we don't pitch up when it's not working well. But it says, the eyes of all look to you, even those in verse 14 who's, who are bowed down and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. We can slip into the gutter here of thinking God is some sort of cosmic therapist who just wants us to lie on the couch and tell us, you know, and he'll just fix us. He, he is. He's the great physician. He loves our hearts. But, but we could also slip into the, the gutter of kind of just thinking that this is, you know, just share a few honest prayers and God will fix you. No, no, there's, I think the third way, it's called vulnerable faith. 
where you, you bring all of yourself to God. You, you trust Him knowing that He is faithful in return. If you're just vulnerable without faith, all you get is, you know, lots of tears and self-centeredness. If you've kind of just got this bold faith without vulnerability, all you get is a stoic person who's just like, oh no, I got it all together, let's go to the briar. Let's keep it going. Faith, you know, be strong. What you need is vulnerable faith. Vulnerability says, I don't have it all together. My life is often broken on the inside. My mom and dad didn't love me exactly how I hoped, and stuff isn't working out exactly how I want. Often I feel like an imposter. Sometimes I feel scared, and, uh, and often just things aren't working out how I hope. And I'm afraid that I can't provide. But I'm trusting, because I trust that, that he is who he says he is. That's what praise is. And we give careful thought to, to the words we bring to God and the words that we pray. It's honest. He's trustworthy. How are you doing in trusting him? You, you don't need to praise God with your best. You know, oh, look at me, God. David proves this over and over again, that he praises God through the storms. That doesn't mean he shelves his emotions and the pain. It means he brings his emotions and his pain and he vulnerably praises God with faith that God is the best one to handle those things. He's the one who really can walk him through his vulnerabilities. Next ingredient is finally, there's a way. There's some ways, there's some, some methods we can learn. In verse 17, it says, the Lord is righteous in all he does and faithful, if righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Should we just look at the elephant in the room, verse 20? He watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. One theologian says that Jesus, you know, Jesus the, the, in the Old Testament says, Jesus is the true and better Moses, who doesn't just lead people out of Egypt and out of slavery into the promised land, but he, he leads hum, human uh, people, the, the whole nation, the whole world, out of sin and into his righteousness and into his grace. He, he's the true and better um, uh, Noah, who doesn't just save a, a, a remnant or a family, but he, he saves the world and he puts them onto his rescue plan. And, and, and some theologians say, Jesus is the true and better psalmist, who doesn't wish upon the world judgment, but in fact takes the judgment of the world upon himself. He doesn't wish dis destruction upon his enemy, but he actually offers the kiss of grace upon his enemy. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. So how do we praise? How do we praise? This praise is, is physical. Verse 18, you are near to all who call on him. You, do, do you ever think of your praise as a physical gesture that, that God himself loves to be near to you? If you have recently come to faith and it's a new journey for you, I imagine that already or in the next while, you have already experienced something of that sense of, oh, Physically, I'm close to God. I can feel it in my bones. I can feel it deep inside of me. Most people, when they first come to faith, and I'm the same, and I know many of us here, you can say, I remember when it just felt like, oh, this is not a theory. This is not a story about a guy 2,000 years ago. This is more than that. God is right here. He's near. He's, he's dwelling in me. I can sense a new life breath that's coming to me. 
We should anticipate God's physical experience. We should also respond physically. So much of the Psalms are about kneeling, walking, arms up, palms up, shouting, calling, using our body language to express our love for God. If we can do it for you too, we can do it for Jesus. It's also emotional. Verse 19, it says, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. God isn't asking you to sort of check out your, your emotions at the door and you come in here and, hello, Domini, nice to see you, boom, and let's get out and, you know, then you can go sort out your problems on Monday. He, he, he wants us to bring all of ourselves to him and to expect him to fulfill our desires. There's so many longings inside of us that just can't seem to get fulfilled out there, no matter how hard we try. Our experience of, of praise ought to be emotional. Our worship also, verse 20, says it is consequential. It is consequential. He watches over those who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. What is, what is going on here? Jesus kind of provides amnesty in this one. He, he's pushing out the timeline. He's pushing it out and going, you know what? The psalmist doesn't, uh, wasn't necessarily right, per se. The, the psalmist was going, he, he must destroy the wicked now. Jesus goes, no, no, he mustn't. He can destroy me. Let me be destroyed in their space. But Jesus does say, I will come back, and I will administer justice, and I will bring home everyone who trusts in me, and you will enjoy life in my family. Our experience of worship has two senses of consequences. Once, one, it's our, our praise empowers our heart to have a love for people who don't yet know God. If you see the goodness of God, you should want to share the goodness of God. We should understand that our praise isn't just consequential because it helps us. Our praise is consequential because it essentially helps others. It's consequential because it's going to help us when we get to the other side. And we go, wow. It's like I'm slipping from worship into the, the final experience. It's like I've, I've seen the shadow, now I can see the light. It's like I've seen in part, but now I see in full. It's physical, it's emotional, it's consequential, and it's verbal. Maybe the band can come up. It's verbal. Verse 21, he says, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Your mouth matters. The words that come out of your mouth matter. Do you know who speaks to you the most? You. You speak to yourself the most. I suppose you could maybe, if some of you, I don't know if you were thinking God does. He probably does if you would listen. But the other person who speaks to you the most is you. You spend so much time in your own world speaking to yourself, and the question I would ask is, what are you saying? And what are you saying about who God is and what he's like? What's coming out of your mouth? Intentional times of worship. Together, we think carefully about every word that we sing. We spend a lot of time as a, as a team going, nope, not that song, nope, not that song, nope, that's junk, nope, no, 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 that doesn't point us in the direction of God, that's the mirror one. <laughs> nope. Oh, yes, that one. Oh, that's one. That, that takes us back to the heart of worship. Oh, yeah, that one. That shows us about the glory of, oh, that one. That shows about his mercy. Oh, that one tells the story of the gospel start to finish. Oh, the creator. We love looking at the content so that our words can teach our hearts. Here's the thing. Your heart wanders like a wild person. It's looking for stuff to love all the time. It's just the way it is. And your words keep telling your heart what to love. Sometimes they're in your breath, in your mind. Sometimes you speak them out loud to a friend or a loved one. You tell them stuff about your career or your hobbies, and you start to feed your heart, and, and the imagination goes wild. 
your words need to sometimes align to who God is and teach your heart what to really love, what to really treasure, what to really be amazed by. And we're as a community in this journey. I honestly, I, I felt like this was a waste of time preaching this message today because as I listened to us singing, I thought, these people get it. But we're gonna keep getting it. We're gonna get it better and better and better. And I want us to be famous as a community for having a cool space to meet or being really nice people who are down to earth, which would be cool. It'd be cool if we get a reputation for people who've seen the living God. And the revelation of that God is growing bigger and bigger and bigger and it's changing the way we view the world. And it seems like our hearts are expanding and our worlds are expanding. If you love something in creation rather than the creator, you know your world shrinks. You think it's growing. You're like, oh, this person, oh, this career, I'm growing. But actually in the bigger scheme, you're shrinking around something less than the creator. As we praise, our hearts grow and include all of creation. Everything he created, he teaches us how to handle. If we love one thing that he created, we lose touch with the creator and we become smaller. Let's stand. Jesus, as we sing this song together, we look away from ourselves. We do our best with the eyes of our hearts and our minds not to sneak a peek in the mirror because there's so many distractions in this world. And we commit just freshly to look into your face, so to speak to look at you, to commit ourselves not to look at you for what we can get from you, but to just look at you because you are unfathomable in your bigness. You are great and glorious in every way, and with the help of your Spirit, we can have our hearts and our lives grow and expand. And there is no one here who's an imposter, who's not welcomed into that journey. Maybe right now you're going, oh, just, this is not for me, man. You're made for all. Your soul is made for all. You're made to be caught up in the drama of redemptive, beautiful, powerful love. You are made for it. I want to remind you, there is no imposter when it comes to praise. You are called to enjoy God. You're called to love Him. Your DNA is hardwired for all and splendor, and delight, and joy, and laughter. And God, as we sing this, I pray that you would call some of us home, that as we sing, it would be a sense of our returning, a sense of us coming back to not just the heart of worship, but the, the home of worship, which is you. We're at home in you. We're at home in you. As we sing together, coach us to see you. Coach us to focus on the one who has it all. Let's sing. <laughs>